There's nothing worse than being in a rush and everything around you decides to go in slow motion. It's like, yes, I woke up five minutes after I needed to leave for work this morning, but it's every other driver's fault for going the speed limit. It's everybody's fault but mine. And it feels like the world is moving slower than the LRT self-expansion, slower than my tax receipt to come in the mail, slower than the first responders coming to save me for the third time I've gotten stuck inside the talent balls this month. The reality is nobody likes waiting for food, for love, for anything. And within a Jesus-based life, it can often feel like nothing is happening, like either God doesn't care or he isn't even there. We stress, we panic, we have all these needs and we pray and we pray and we pray and it seems like nothing is happening. If God is moving, he's in about as much of a rush to act as the Toronto Maple Leafs are to putting a competitive hockey team on the ice. Sorry, Leafs fans. But all jokes aside, it can be frustrating, infuriating, and even make us question our faith. It's like, God, please help with my finances, my health, relationship problems, my mental health issues, my addictions. And we sit, and we wait, and we wait, and wait. So what do we do? Do we give up, throw in the towel? Just submit to the fact that God is either not real or he just blatantly doesn't care? So tell me this, how do you respond? when it seems like God is silent. This isn't a new problem for a modern time. These questions have been asked and felt for all of human history. When we look to what God says to us through the Bible in the life of Moses, Moses who was a Hebrew slave, but was spared from death as a baby and actually ended up being adopted by the royal family that oppressed his people, returned from the wilderness where he had ran away to when life got hard. While he was there, God had told him to go and free his people, the Hebrews, from slavery in Egypt. And even though Moses had a stuttering problem, and frankly, he was a little bit of a coward by nature, he ended up before the new king, the new pharaoh, somebody he would have grown up with as a kid. He demanded his people's freedom, and every time the king said no, God would send a plague to show his power. And after 10 plagues, which were water into blood, frogs, lice, flies, livestock disease, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and finally death of the firstborn, the king agreed to let them finally go, so they moved a whole nation. Not like a few hundred people. This isn't like a small task. We're talking a literal nation. They had to walk to a new place that had been prepared for them. Can you imagine if they just had segways? I just picture like these Egyptians just ripping on segways. Like those weirdos in the river valleys. I don't know why I thought of that. In Exodus 13 verses 17 to 22, it says when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory. Even though that was the shortest route to the promised land, God said if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the son of Israel swear to do this. He said, God will certainly come to help you. When he does, you must take my bones with you from this place. The Israelites left for Succoth and camped at Etham. Is that how you even say it? I think that's Sukoth. What if it's Sukoth? The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or fire from its place in front of the people. So for the whole journey to the place that God had promised the Hebrew people, he was leading them by a pillar of clouds by day and a literal pillar of fire that lit up the sky and told them where to go even at night. This is like a compass on steroids. Imagine how tough you would feel. This is like having a UFC fighter fused with Bear grills being your guide slash protection for the entire trip. God then tells Moses he needs to move around in some strange ways to make 
their tracks confusing because Pharaoh is going to change his mind. But he says, don't worry because God was going to show his power through the situation. I don't know about you, but when the God who is leading the way as a giant fire tornado says that he's got you covered, I'm feeling pretty good in that moment. We catch up with them in Exodus 14 verse 5 when it says, when word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done? Letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord had hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he chased after the people of Israel, who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army. All his horses and chariots, his charioteers, his troops, the Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near Piharath, across from Baal Zephyron. You can Google those ones. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen when we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than it is to be a corpse in the wilderness. And suddenly the confident people who were led by the whirling inferno are panicking. It's like suddenly their Dwayne the Rock Johnson bodyguard is actually Kevin Hart. They go from faith to fear in a moment. They're actually willing to be slaves again. We would rather be slaves than be slaughtered. Why would you do this to us? And to be honest, I wouldn't be a big fan of either of these options. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so that the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. It's like, oh, of course, why didn't I think of that? You just want me to raise my hand over the water with the wooden staff in my hand, with my stick, and part the sea so that we can just walk across the literal ocean. Why didn't I think of that? I'm probably thinking if I'm Moses, what is going on here? Or here's an idea, how about a boat? Or at least a couple of sea dupes. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground, with walls of water on each side. Moses is probably at this point like, yeah, I knew this would work. Like me and God, we talked about this before. But inside he's probably thinking, oh my goodness, I can't believe this actually worked. His heart rate is going like a billion meats. Meats? Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot's wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, away from these Israelites, the Egyptians shouted. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. When all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the sea again. 
and then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and their charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea and then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. Of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground, as the water stood up like a wall on both sides. And that is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. It's easy to think that the Israelites were really foolish. Like when I read this, I'm thinking these people are just kind of cowards and, and just silly in general, right? Like they literally were being led by a tornado of cloud and fire around them at all times. Like keeping them, it was like the greatest flashlight slash bodyguard ever. You would feel pretty tough. You would feel pretty good about that. And God had just shown through all those plagues that he literally could control nature. He could control the universe. He could even control life and death, day and night. Like you should think at this point that the Israelites, that the Hebrew people would be like, yeah, I, I'm okay. I think we're going to be fine. It doesn't matter what is going to happen here. It doesn't matter what comes our way. We should feel pretty good that we're going to make it through this. And not only make it through it, but probably thrive. That is, in my mind, as I read this in 2023, the logical feeling that I would get. They're kind of silly. Foolish. They come up against an ocean in front of them. They come up against an ocean in front of them and a murderous army behind them. And suddenly everything changes. They start to think, ooh, you know, I guess God's not that powerful after all. He just kind of gave up. You know, all those other things must have, either they forgot about them or like, I, I, maybe those were just tricks. Maybe I imagined them. Maybe, maybe they never happened at all. I don't know. Because there's something about human nature that kicks in. And I think it kicks in for all of us in situations when all of a sudden we're faced with a problem or a chaos situation or a crisis in our life. Have you been there? where all of a sudden it becomes everything is falling apart and there is no way out. And I know in my life, even as somebody who has followed God for a good amount of time, I'm a pastor, I'm supposed to be the guy that would have a lot of faith in those situations. When things go bad, it's easy to fall into this sense of human nature of, what have you done for me lately? Even though we should know better, even though we may have seen God move in our lives or in other people's lives, we know that God is in control and we've seen him come through for us before, but now there's a new problem, and that's the one that's going to get me. Suddenly our faith is not so powerful. Suddenly we think that God doesn't actually care, or he's not real. We have all these doubts come into our minds, and we freak out, and we panic, and we think the worst is going to happen. Have you been there before? Are you there right now? Is there a crisis in your life, something that is just taking up every ounce of energy, every thought in your mind? Something that you feel like there's no way out. Yeah, God's in control. Yeah, he's done it before. But I'm going to die. My world is going to crumble. I just can't see a way out. We get frustrated because waiting is awful. Waiting is the worst, right? Like waiting for anything is the worst feeling you can have. It's like going through Costco and you just have to wait for the person in front of you to figure out that they've had rice cakes before. It's like you've had rice cakes before. You don't need to leave your cart in the middle and go get rice cakes because it has a, a toothpick through it and now you feel fancy. Just go and get what you need. Get your pallet of cake and get out of the Costco. 
Maybe that's just me. But waiting for anything is horrible. It just it makes you feel anxiety. And when it's something that's serious, if it's, if it's something that is life-threatening or just is going to threaten your, your quality of life or is going to cause significant stress for you, yeah, then we start to panic. Then it's not just waiting. It's not just the chaos in front of us, but it just is a weight that presses down. We feel the pressure on us in everything we do. We can't escape it when we go to sleep. We can't escape it when we're hanging out with friends. We're smiling. We're laughing. We're having a good time. But deep inside... We're panicking. It's always there. We feel like we've been abandoned. We feel frustrated and scared. We get frustrated as Christians, as humans, and often, unfortunately, we confuse waiting with being abandoned. We confuse enduring patience, times where we have to be patient with enduring trauma. God's perfect plan with our preferred timelines. Because what have you done for me lately? If I was Moses and I come over this hill, I get over the crest of the hill, and I just see the ocean, and all of a sudden you hear, you hear the armies behind you. You hear they're coming, and you see this ocean in front of you. If I was designing my own scenario, if I'm being honest with you, I'm thinking like a Disney cruise liner would be the best thing. That's what I think should have happened. Or at least like the Edmonton Queen Riverboat, which I don't even know if it's still floating anymore. But it's still better than what was happening in front of them. Like anything There needs to be some sort of logical next step. If I'm looking at a sea, a vast ocean as far as you can see, I know we're in Alberta, but if you've ever been outside of our like slew lakes that we have here and seen the ocean, it goes on for a long time. It's not exactly swimmable. There's sharks, I think. Sharks are scary. You could just drown. So now we're faced with this situation where in front of us we have the choice of death by drowning or shark or octopus or something like that or by a spear or a sword, or by oppression, by slavery. There's no way out. There's no good solution. Chaos wins. It seems like God has abandoned us or never existed to begin with. He doesn't care. Yeah, all those other times, yeah, that was cool. But that doesn't matter because I'm going to die right now. That's a panic. That's letting fear win. And that's our natural human nature. The truth is that Moses actually didn't get what he would have thought was the best case. The Disney Cruise Liner wasn't there. The boat, the rafts, you know, the the awaiting army of angels that God could have had to go fight the Egyptians and then we could figure out, you know, how to build a boat or something. That's the rational decision. But God gave him exactly what he needed in the moment. To be the hero, to dramatically save the day in the most unlikely way that you would ever imagine. Because Moses was facing an insurmountable challenge. He was between a rock and a hard place. And honestly, the biggest fear, I think, if I was Moses, obviously death is terrifying, and death by army is not fun either. But my greatest fear would be that I would be remembered by anyone who manages to survive. I'm the one who led God's people, his literal people, into death to be made extinct, to be eliminated and exterminated in the most horrible way. The ones that ended up dying would be tragic, and then the story of all of this would go into the people that were now slaves once again, and the name Moses would become a swear word. I would be remembered as that guy that promised, oh yeah, God will help you out. Next thing you know, we're slaves again. 
that's horrible. That would just weigh on me. This is what's happening in Moses' mind. And I, I think as, as, as he's facing this thing in front of him that he can't get out of. So what's your Red Sea moment? What is the thing that you're stuck between? What in your life is there no way out? Maybe you've never told anybody before. Maybe it's something that's a secret. It's something that you've been struggling with. It's your addiction. It's your health crisis, your health crisis in your family, your financial issues, your financial fears, your relationship disasters, whether that's in dating or that's with family members or with friends, things that are just spiraling out of control, your mental health, your past trauma, passing that class or getting that job, and it just feels like there's nowhere to go. What are you facing that seems insurmountable? There's no logical way out. It just seems like there's no way that God or anyone else can help. There's a verse in the Bible in the book of Psalms, which is in the first half of the Bible, the New Testament, Psalms 23, 4. And it's a pretty common verse. You may have heard it before. The first line of it is in like a Coolio song, a rap song from like the 90s. And that's not where you should be getting the information from, by the way. But it is there. You may have heard it. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, in the song it's when I walk through the valley of shadow of death. Even when I walk through the darkest valley... I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. And growing up, when I hear this, it's really comforting, right? Because it makes me think, oh, if I follow God, like God, he's beside me. He's got a rod and a staff, kind of like a sword. It's a good weapon. Like he's strong. He's going to save me. I shouldn't have anything to worry about. And I'll never have to endure suffering or pain or struggle. I'm good. No problems. God's with me. But that's not what it says. That's not the promise of a Jesus-based life. When you make the decision to follow Jesus, the best decision, decision you'll ever make in your entire life, it's not a promise that you'll never face hardship. Actually, it's a promise that you will. But the hope that comes from it is that you will never, ever face those hardships, those chaotic moments, those insurmountable feeling things alone ever again. That Jesus, the God who controls the universe, who controls day and night, who who controlled everything back in Moses' day and controls it now, that he is with you through the situations. You may not be able to see the perspective in front of you. It feels like he's not there. All you can see is the ocean in front of you. All you can hear is the war, the, the death that's behind you. But he's right beside you. Even when we can't see it, he's working. Even when it feels like everything is out of control, Jesus is in control. And the problem is that we don't like to feel that discomfort. It sucks. Waiting is awful. We're saying, God, step in and do something. Jesus, step in and do something. But it feels like he's not. But he's right there. The truth is this, that Hebrew people, that Moses didn't have to freak out. They should have known that God was with them. The the fire tornado that was with them through everything in this miraculous way, showing his his might, showing the way that they should go and protecting them, didn't go away. He's not dead. He's not gone. He didn't didn't get bored with their situation and go off somewhere else to do something more exciting. He cares deeply about his children, about his people. And news for you today, friends, is this. You are his people. You're his children God loves you so deeply. No matter what you've done, no matter who you've been in the past, even if you've done things that are horrifically against what he would have you do, and you even knew it, you're his people. He loves you. 
forgiveness is available to everybody. Hope is available to everybody. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, it's available to you, it's available to me, it's available for everyone. And if you're here tonight and you haven't heard that before, you need to hear this. This is the most important thing you'll ever hear, is that the most important decision and the best decision you can ever make in your life is to follow Jesus. You don't have to, you know, perform some dance. You don't have to go through some crazy ritual to do it. It's just creating that relationship. It's saying, Jesus, I'm here. I accept what you did. I know who you are, and I want to follow you. The God that was a pillar of fire and saved them back then through plagues, through guiding them, and then stepped up and allowed Moses, the most meek person, someone who had a literal stuttering problem, who was a bit of a coward by nature, who wanted to run away at every step of what God had called him to do, to be able to part a literal ocean. This isn't like Alberta Beach or Sylvan Lake. We're talking an ocean. Wide enough that it was dry, not even muddy. Their feet didn't even get a little dirty as they crossed. It was dry ground, and they walked to the other side, and they were saved from the oppression from slavery, from the people that wanted to destroy them and who had destroyed them, who hated them. The destruction that was all they could imagine was suddenly defeated. The God that did that then is still alive and working in your life today. He's not in some distant place. He, you don't need some, don't have to come to a pastor to talk to him. You don't have to come to me and say, Jeff, can you let Jesus know that? No, no, no. Jesus cares about you enough to have that direct connection. You just have to talk to him. You just have to be open to him. We don't see a way. And when it logically has no way, Jesus is there beside us making that way for us. Where it appears to be no way out, where our natural thought is to fall into habits that are destructive. I'm stressed, I'm scared. So we fall into drinking, into drug abuse, into pornography, into things that destroy us and distract us in those moments. Jesus says, actually, I can make a way, and it's the best way. But we have to kind of take a step that's uncomfortable because God didn't just part the sea. He had Moses step up, raise his hand, and part it. Moses had to take a risk. The guy that's kind of a little nervous all the time, kind of has anxiety, social anxiety about everything. He had to stand in front of his entire people, raise his hand, put himself out there. Imagine if it didn't. Imagine if it didn't work. He's just staring at this sea, and there's an army coming. And Moses is like, all right. But that's not what happened. Because it wasn't just Moses. Moses took the risk. But God moved. And God saved the day. And friends, listen. Whatever you're struggling with, big or small, whatever in your mind it's big or small, that same God that was a pillar of fire and cloud that put the plagues in place to secure the freedom of the God's people, the same God that parted a literal ocean he has the same power today, and he cares about you just as much today as he did all those thousands of years ago. But he's asking you tonight for you to put your heart into a posture where you can accept again, maybe for the first time, and maybe for the first time in a long time, that Jesus is here, Jesus cares about you, and Jesus wants to work in your life. It may not be in the timeline you would prefer it to be. It's not how you designed it, but he will move in your heart. And it might just begin by bringing peace and bringing some oxygen into your heart that you haven't had, where you felt suffocated for a long time. But today, he's asking you to take a step towards the water. 
to take a risk. We have to put ourselves out there a little bit. But today, will you take that step forward? Because God said to Moses, it's time for the people to get moving. It's time to get moving. To take a step towards Jesus. To take a step towards freedom. A step towards forgiveness. And a step towards exactly what you need. If you're able to, let's stand together.